I just want to pray for us again. Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for just being here, Lord. Thank you for who you are in our lives. And that we can faithfully come to you, Lord, in all aspects, in all seasons of our lives. Faithfully knowing that you walk this road with us, that you are here with us today. You are here with us as we leave this place. Thank you, Lord, that your work gives us great assurance and hope. Thank you, Lord, that you have a, indeed a plan for each one of us to prosper and not for harm. And that you walk this road alongside us. And we pray, Lord, today that as we delve into your word, that you will come and reveal your truth to us. In such a way, Lord, that it will truly, as we prayed before, transform us more in your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray that. Amen. So this morning I want to share around a little portion of scripture in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a very famous narrative in the Old Testament. Um, but just to give some context before I get to the main scripture, it's, it's the nation of Israel came out of the time of, um, it was first Moses who led them in the wilderness and then Joshua led them into the promised land. And, and the nation just continued to spiral out of control as they, as they continually stayed disobedient to God. And his commands and they started worshiping other gods false gods and then there was this time this season where god because god still loves his, his creation he sends these judges it was just at the end of the season of judges a judge was a temporary raised person a civil leader or a military type leader who brought with um, temporary relief or deliverance but we soon see that it did not last long and then the nation just continued to, to spiral down into sin and disobedience. And it was at the very end of this season when we come to this man, Samuel, the last of the judges. And Samuel, as, as much as he tried, the nation continued to be in sin. And it was such a desperate cry that the nation of Israel needed the king. So Samuel heeds the voice of the people and he takes it to the Lord and and the people choose for themselves a king. Samuel, the last of the judges, hears their call and he gives them this man called Saul. Now Saul was a very, a man of great stature, a man of, of great influence, a man of great charisma. He's also a very tall man. Unfortunately, he was also a very selfish, self-centered man. And as we continue to read scripture, we find that this man's heart dwelt further and further away from the Lord, eventually causing the Lord's regret and, and the Lord withdrawing his spirit from Saul. And then we find the Lord, God speaking to Samuel and he's calling Samuel to go and anoint the king that he chose, that God chose. And he comes to this young shepherd boy eventually, we know the story, and he anoints young David as the future king. Now I'm skipping ahead a lot, but... We know the story of David as he slayed a giant just overnight. He became so much more popular and he became so much more, uh, he gained so much more respect from people. And this caused the evil king Saul to become more jealous. And it, and it cultivated this great hatred, this blind rage and wrath towards David. And when we find in scripture, we actually see that he makes not one, but two attempts on David's life. And eventually David flees for his life into the wilderness. And that's where our story is going to kick off today. And I'm going to read for us from 1 Samuel 24, from verse 1 to 7. 
Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road, where there was a cave. And Saul went in and attended his needs. David and his men were staying in the recesses of his cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterwards that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing that he is the anointed of the Lord. David restrained his servants with his words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and he went on his way. Now, as we read the scripture, as Israel's first monarch, Israel's first king, a chosen Saul became the people's choice of a king. And we see in scripture that after the people chose him, Samuel anointed him as commander. And we know because of his disobedience to the Lord and his downward spiral, his moral and spiritual decline as a human being and as a leader, and we see that it leads to God regretting this decision. Withdrawing from him. In this very narrative, we find Saul, a man set on revenge. A man on a path of war, pursuing David unto death, filled with hatred. Contrastingly, on the other side, we find David. A man displaying great patience. A man who God chose as king. As we so beautifully heard in the offering message this morning, a man after God's own heart, a man who sought the Lord. On the other side, we contrastingly find David displaying great patience, great humility, and love towards the evil king Saul who pursued him unto death, who persecuted him. Now I want us to consider this for a few moments and and that's why I want to share on it is how do we react in times like this when we feel we, we are being wrong, we are being pursued, we are, we are being confronted. Our, and this might not be like a physical persecution, but it might be that the environment that we find ourselves in does not match up with our heart's expectations. And that's why I call this message God's perspective. How do we Get to that place where we choose, like David, to love God's people despite their deep character flaws. To save someone's life, even though that person is persecuting you unto death. Does that sound familiar? This is usually the route that goes against the route that we should take that actually goes against our very instinct when we are confronted with situations where we feel wrong, where we feel we are in the right and we have the means to take up justice for ourselves. 
It's in these areas that we are being tested and this is where we are challenged to have a mind shift. A way of thinking that will require us to stop and to consider the situation from all angles and not just view it from our perspective. Like David did, taking into account viewing it from God's perspective. And I'm liking it to this image of a drone, you know, a drone flying up. And, and we see it many times, especially now in Admonish, you see certain areas that we've seen so many times. You just say so you stop at Gary's point and you see everything from one angle, but now we see this amazing footage from other angles. How do we get to that place when we are being confronted, being challenged by something that maybe feels unfair to us or unjust to us? To stop and to see it from all aspects, the way God would see it. And a few things that I've, that I've taken, that I've highlighted from the scriptures, something displayed by David. Patience, humility and love. And as I mentioned it earlier, he displayed a great measure of these things in this story. How do we get to that place? Patience is not easy. Now, I don't know about you, but patience does not come naturally to me. Who of you have natural patience? Or is it just me that's patience and promise? It's not an easy thing to have. I once had to build, many years back, I once for a year had to, I worked as a carpenter. And I once had to build someone a massive wall of shelving for an office block. And it was quite a big order, and there was a time constraint on it. And it was in the middle of summer, and I remember I was walking, uh, working on a friend's farm. I was working outside. And it was hot. And it was just outside Malmesbury, so it was very hot. And I was very tired. And I was frustrated because it's a long hours, it's hard work. And it's a big order, and there's time constraint on it. And I knew I had to get this done so in order that I could get to the next thing. And in my, my state of frustration, in my state of, of almost being weak, I really just wanted to get this thing over with. So I saw how can I get this thing done faster. For those of you that do know carpentry or know a little bit about woodworking, um, when you go shelving, there's a lot of repetitive cuts involved. So I saw this and what I did is I made a little template of the length of the shelves, the cross sections that need to go like this. I made one template and I saw I'm going to save a lot of time by just making this one template, placing it onto the heavy plank, just drawing a line and cutting. Lo and behold, it worked beautifully. Smooth sailing, quickly. I made haste of a lot of work, feeling really tough with myself. I took all the way, and as I went to the, to the office area where I needed to do the installation, it wasn't very long before I realized I made a massive mistake. I accidentally measured my template about 10 centimeters too short. I did not take into account certain extra pieces of work, and long story short, the shelving could not be used because it was built on a specific measurements, and everything that you would put in that shelf would hang over too much. 
So when I was in a state of frustration, when I was in a state of things around me are really not going the way I planned, I need to sort this out. I hastily made a decision, but I made a bad decision, which not only cost me precious time and energy, my relationship with the person that, that gave me the, the order, but also financial, because eventually I had to buy a new roof to build the shelves again. Luckily, I could use the old roof for something else. But what I want to get at is this whole concept of impatience. David displayed quite a profound amount of patience in his life. In Proverbs 25, verse 15, we read, Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. And that day I display great folly. For those of you that don't know it's foolishness. Proverbs 14, 20, 29 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. In my eyes, I stirred up strife not only in my own heart, but also in the, the person who employed me that day. Proverbs 15, verse 18 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. For a moment I felt like a warrior, but my battle was in vain. Now, the writer of these proverbs, when we read scripture, says Solomon wrote these proverbs, and, and he wrote quite a lot about patience. I wonder why. And we know the story, and we know how God blessed Solomon with, with great wisdom. But sometimes, I just sometimes wonder, he just didn't go to his father David. He just sat on his lap, just to hear his stories. To find out what his father said about the, about the subject. Because his father really did display this in his life. Being patient leads to wisdom. The first one. Being patient leads to peace. Being patient leads to self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, I can definitely do with more wisdom, self-control, and peace. How do we react when things don't go as planned? How do we react when we are frustrated? When someone's actions or opinions differ from ours, do we take matters into our own hands? Do we listen to the voices and opinions of those saying today your enemy is delivered in your hand? Take action. Strike now. Sometimes the best way to fight, I have found this in my own life, is not to fight. Our story continues from verse 8. David also arose afterwards, went out, the cave, out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, my King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Indeed, David seeks your harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today to my hand in the cave. 
and someone urged me to kill you. But my eyes spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father's seed, yes, the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe, and I did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you. Yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. But my hand shall not be against you. Another powerful aspect that David displays here, and there are so many, but something that is so evident and that is one of the things that I really love about the way he lived his life, most of his life. We know he was not perfect. But there's this profound humility displayed in the way he conducts himself. Not only as a human being, not only as a son, as a follower of the Lord, but also as a, as a leader and as a servant. You see, David knew he was innocent, yet he chose not to pursue the king. And he chose to bow down before the king. He was a great military leader. He had the respect of all his men. Yet that day he displayed great leadership by displaying great humility. By not heeding to their call for killing the king, but by showing respect to him, knowing that even though he had the opportunity, he had the he had the chance to claim victory for himself, to take matters into his own hands and to end it there. He displayed the utmost humility. David never let fame or glory or power, even though he had all that stuff, he never let any of those things go to his head and influence the way he treated Saul, influence the way that he led that day. There's this powerful parable that Jesus speaks about in Matthew 20. And you can go read it for yourself. I'm, I'm really just going to, to paraphrase it, but to give some context, it's, it's the story about the, 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 the owner of a vineyard, and he employs laborers. And Jesus uses this powerful parable to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And he likens it to this vineyard. And this vineyard owner employs people to come and work with them in the vineyard. And he says, he agrees with them, we read in the beginning, he agrees with them to, to pay one denarius for their labor for the day. And then they work. And then the story continues a few hours later, he gets more laborers in to work with. And then a few hours later, he gets more laborers in. To work with as the day goes on, it gets more people. And obviously, the more people come, they work less in the first group. But at the end of the day, when all came for their payment, they all receive the same amount of pay. And we see in scripture that the, the first group was very, very irritated by this and they felt unfairly treated. And then the owner of the vineyard, or the owner of the vineyard comes to them and he and he explains to them, and the whole concept of this is it's a powerful ending in verse 16 where it says, the, the last will be first, and the first 
will be lost. The whole concept of the story is not about an unfair vinyatana, but about His grace and His mercy towards all. It's not about His unfairness, but it's because of His good heart that He paid everyone the same. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make here. As followers of Jesus, we can't measure our worth in comparison to other sacrifices or victories. We can't measure our worth in comparison to, to other sacrifices or achievements that they have received in their life. We are called to focus on serving the Lord with hearts filled with gratitude in response to His abundant grace. The last few weeks we've, we've been sharing a lot out of James. James 4. And I want to encourage you to really read it. There's just so much amazing food in that for us on our walk on this earth. But James 4 verse 10 tells us so powerfully, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Not man. I read somewhere the other day that a, a great leader is someone who takes most of the blame and the least amount of the credit. And the famous author and pastor Rick Warren, he wrote this, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. So powerfully displayed by David's actions. When people exalt themselves, and you can go read the Old Testament from 1 Samuel up until the story, when people exalt themselves like the, the evil king Saul did, God is not exalted. He sees all. But when we come to that place where we humble ourselves, where we become low before the Lord, He is the one that lifts us up. He is the one that exalts us. Just like He did David. Another powerful aspect that's displayed through David's actions in this story is just this concept of his love towards Saul and towards God's people. When one reads it at first, it doesn't really make sense to use the word love here. I'm going to read from verse 10. It says, Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today in my hand in the cave, and someone owes me to kill you. But my eyes spared you and said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for He is the Lord's anointed. David still displayed love towards Saul, even though he was being persecuted. Even though he was being wronged. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. When I was a youngster, they used to sell them at school, and they were very popular, and, and I haven't seen them for a long time. Now and then, one pops up, but for some reason yesterday I laughed. I was in a shop and they were selling them. But that's irrelevant. The, the, the whole point is, WWJD, what would Jesus do 
That is such a difficult thing to ask, such a difficult concept. Try and comprehend when we are faced with being wrong, when we are faced in an environment where we find ourselves in a place where we know that we know that we know we are right and the other part is wrong. How do we get to that place where we ask ourselves, what would the Father do? What would Jesus do? And that's exactly what I do when I see that. What would Jesus do? I ask myself, what would a good Father do? Many of us here, we are fathers. My boys can sometimes bring out the worst in me. They know, they know which buttons to press and how to press them. And how to press them so that they stay pressed. <laughs> but you know what? My love for them grows daily. Every day, I love them more and more. Because I'm their chosen father. And I see in them what they still not see in themselves. I can see what they can be. I see where they can be one day. Because I love them. I have great hope for my boys as a father because I love them. How should a father love his child? How does Jesus love his children? When we make mistakes, does He give up on us? If that were true, I would not be here today. I would not stand here. He loves us so much that He was willing to die for us on a cross. To die for us. Now you might say, but it's not the same, same concept here. Because Saul tried to kill David twice and persecuted him. David had all the right not to love Saul. Jesus died on the cross for the very people who put him there. For those who persecuted him unto death. As Christians, we are called to love each other in this way. We are called to love each other the way Christ loved us. John 14 was 30, 40, 35. It's a well-known scripture. You cannot read it enough. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. We have to love our enemies to the cross. We have to love our enemies to the cross. How do we expect someone to get to Jesus if we don't love him that way? If we don't show him his love, the love of Jesus? God is our judge and our defender. Verse 12 says, Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. Sometimes we get so close to our problem, so close, that we can cut the edge off of the rope of the problem. We can cut the edge off of it. 
Many of us sitting here today in this place, we feel we're touching it, we can cut it off, we can do so much more in this moment. And David was there. But you know what? He knew where to take the battle to. We see it often in church, and I love it. When I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands held high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. That is how we fight this fight. God is our judge and our defender. We take the fight to Him. David said that the rebellion can lead to sin. Wickedness proceeds from the wicked. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you. I want to warn you. Don't fall in the enemy's trap. When we are being confronted with a reality that does not meet ours, when we are confronted with opinions, when we are confronted with an image that does not look like our personal image, a worldview that challenges ours, thought process that does, does not make sense to us, don't take matters into your own hands. Bring it to the Lord. Take the battle to Him. How do we react to unfair persecution or judgment? Do we hate? Do we condemn? Do we retaliate? Do we close our hearts off? Do we just shut down? Run for the caves? Or do we display great patience and humility? And Christ's light love. How do we get there? In John 14, Jesus speaks and he tells us this. He says, And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot, world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26 says, But the Helper again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you the remembrance of all things that I say to you. He will help us to remember. What would Jesus do? If we look at that word helper, I'm not going to go very deep into this, but it's a word that we so, they're so famous, we know this word, many of us know this word. It also means comforter, it also means advocate. It's parakletos, that's the Greek word describing the Holy Spirit. An intercessor and a consoler is our advocate. Advocate. One that's called to our side for our aid, to help us. Moreover, that word means one who pleads our case in front of the Lord, in front of another. Pleading with God the Father for the pardon of our sins. In times of great difficulty, times of trial we face, we're going into a season where we are going to face challenges. And I'm not going to label the festive season as the typical season where everything just challenges us. No, it's also filled with immense hope.
but we do know in the reality, in the practical, as we heard this morning, we are going to be confronted with situations that we haven't been confronted with in a while. We're going to spend time with personalities that we haven't spent with in a while. We're going to have difficult conversations. We're going to be pressed for time. It's going to be hot this summer. But we don't have to act on our behalf. Don't be like the people, I'm going to ask the band to come up. Don't be like those people that we so many times see in movies where there's a courtroom situation and the brave protagonist comes and the judge asks who wears the counsel and he says, I'm going to defend myself, Your Honor. I'm going to be my own counsel. Don't be that person. We have the helper. We have the advocate. We have the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Our helper. As our helper. Sent by the Lord. Who hears from the Father. I mean it doesn't get better than that. If you read this story of David. And sometimes I have to remind myself of this. Because you can so easily skip over it. It's the day that Samuel anointed him as king. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He operated in the Holy Spirit. And yes, there were times in his life where he faltered. But we suddenly see that's when he relied on his own strength, his own flesh. And then he comes back to the Lord. We have God's Holy Spirit as our advocate. We can go to him and he pleads our case before the Father. Galatians 5.21 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Very interesting, that word walk. If you ever read in the Greek, it does not mean just a normal walk. It actually means walk in line with. In other words, to walk the road that the Holy Spirit lays out for us. Twice, Saul tried to kill David. Twice we read in the wilderness, David spared Saul's life. How does one come to that place? Walking in the Holy Spirit, knowing that the Lord is with us. Knowing where to take the battle to. Knowing that our vindication is not going to come from ourselves. It's not going to come from my wise counsel, my wisdom, my good plans, my vindication, my help comes from the Lord. Father in heaven. You see, David knew his victory would not come from himself. It would come from choosing God's perspective. I'm going to ask us to stand. I just want to pray with us. Yes, Lord, we thank you, Father, that, that we can come to you in any situation. That we can come to you no matter what. No matter what we face. Where we face. How we face it.
I pray, Lord, for every person in this room today, Lord, that you will give us a renewed strength to model and to live out a life of humility, a life of godly patience, godly patience and Christ-like love towards those around us. Help us, Lord, to grow in these aspects and, and we all have our shortcomings, Father, but help us to realize that we can come to you. We can bring the battle to you because the battle belongs to you. I pray, Father, that maybe there's some people in this room today, some of us here today, we really feel weak. We feel that we have that place where we just want to strike. We cannot take it anymore. I pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us, that you will help us to pursue no one else but you. To walk in line with your Holy Spirit. To in trust, in faith, and in hope, follow the road that you lay out for us. I pray that as we enter into the season, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, we need to go with hearts full of gratitude that we have made it to December. It is indeed an achievement. For many, for most probably, it has not been an easy year. But we know, Lord, your word tells us we don't have to fear tribulation in this world. We will face it. But you have overcome it. And we rest in that, Lord. Thank you, Father, that we can come to you in times of great weakness, in times of, of really just feeling there's nowhere else to go. That with our backs against the wall, we can come to you. And you are always there. You are always willing. You are always ready. You are always able. You are more than able to help us in our times of need. Help us, Lord, to call out to you, to reach out to you. And we praise your holy name. The only name worthy of you.